0: I want to talk to you this morning about uh, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, and uh, you can find the text in in, uh, Acts chapter 4, and I'll be having some scriptures up here in a few moments, but before I I put them up there, I want to set this up. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come, and he will cause you to become something there's a process that's going to take place inside you. You're not going to be the same person you always have been. You'll still have the same identity when it comes to how you look and your name and all that. But on the inside, there's going to be a dynamic change. And and an old personality, an old character, an old you is going to pass away and something new is going to happen. And it'll be the work of the Holy Spirit. And you'll become witnesses. Now, when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, we often think of three things. We think of his gifts, we think of his spirit, and the third thing, we become something. The gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, they are works of the Spirit that are important, but becoming a witness is the primary thing. That's what Jesus said. You will receive power and you will become. Well, in the second chapter... The Holy Spirit comes. People are astounded. They're hearing languages—16 different languages—spoken by various people around uh, that part of the then-known world at that time. And and all of these were just Galileans, kind of second-class Israelis. They had been in the upper room for several days, and the Holy Spirit came. There was tongues. There was fire. There was a sound of a mighty wind, but there was no wind. It was just really astounding. All of Jerusalem was aware of what happened. And they gathered together, and Peter stood up, and he preached what is called the famous Sermon of Pentecost. And as a result, uh, thousands of people became Christians. They were convinced by the power of his witness, his witness being both who he was as an individual and the words that he spoke. And so an explosion took place, and uh, it was really having quite an impact. Now, this was all new to Peter and John and the other disciples. Uh, They weren't accustomed to all of this new phenomenon of speaking in languages they hadn't learned and the power of the Holy Spirit and the boldness and the courage with which they spoke. And, and, And yet they didn't want to forsake the old ways The traditions of Israel, they still wanted to honor them. In fact, they believed that the temple and all of the worship of Israel, all of Israel itself, would turn from the Old Testament practices into the New Testament and embrace Jesus as Messiah, and the church would encompass everyone in Israel. Little did they know that the religious leaders, not the common people, but the religious leaders felt that they were threatened and they became great persecutors of the church. Uh, Peter and John and the other disciples didn't think that would have been the case, but it was. And so one day as they're going to the temple and they did this in the third hour of the day. And um, they went there just to not to go and sacrifice the animals. They, that was past. They knew Jesus had sacrificed his life and so they weren't going there for that reason, but they went to the re- to the temple for the hour of prayer. They wanted to pray, and while they were there, or while they were on their way there, as they come to, to through the gate that leads into the temple, it was a massive, massive building. Uh, Twenty thousand people, priests and servants, worked in that building, not all at once. But in shifts, it was huge, it was amazingly big. And here was by the gate there is this man who is over 40 years old and he had a congenital birth defect. He was lame. He had been that way since he was born. So he understood himself to be less than everybody else because the Jewish law said that a crippled man could not come inside the temple. He was prohibited. And so he stayed on the outside with great feelings of unworthiness, great feelings of being less than, just a cripple, depending upon the alms, the goodness of the hearts of the people who would be going into the temple. And he sat there begging. And Peter and John passed him, and he was begging. And they turned to him and said, we don't have any silver or gold, but we have something better. And they said, in the name of Jesus, walk, stand, is what they said. Rise up. And the man, as they took his hands and started to be lifted up, suddenly the Bible says that strength came into his legs, strength came into his feet, strength came into his body, and instantly, by the power of Jesus, operating through these two apostles, he was healed. Now, then the scripture says that he went with Peter and John into the temple. Uh, now, hes he'd never been allowed in there before. But now he wasn't crippled, so he was allowed. He walked boldly. In fact, the Bible says he was running and leaping and praising God. And he created a commotion. Everybody was heading towards the priests and the sacrifices. But then they saw this guy. And over in another part of the court was Peter and John, and, and he was dancing, this crippled man, or the man who had been crippled, was dancing and shouting and praising God. And, and everybody wanted to know what was going on. So they get into, the, into that part of the temple where Peter and John are, and they start talking to him about, uh, talking to the group about Jesus. Now, we're going to pick it up in the fourth chapter. This all happens on the very same day. This is in a matter of just hours. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. So in just this short period of time, uh, these men are walking to the temple. A man is healed. They go in, and the crowds are coming. They're shouting and praising, and the next thing you know, they're in jail. Now, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And it was the Sadducees who were in charge of the temple. Pharisees believed in the resurrection, but they really didn't have authority when it came to the temple. Now, it says that these Sadducees were greatly disturbed. Now, this is the incredible, incredible truth about human, uh, just about humankind and how we think and how we respond. When we feel threatened... Even something that is so incredibly evidentiary, such as the healing of a man who they all knew had been at the gate for 40 years, or over 40 years, the Bible says. And in spite of this man standing and praising and leaping, they were concerned because the apostles were preaching the resurrection. Well, what they had just seen was a form of resurrection where there had been death in the legs and the body of this man. Now suddenly he had come to life. He had been transformed physically, and as a result of that, he experienced a whole new understanding of himself. He just went running into the temple like everybody else. In fact, even no doubt faster than everybody else. He laid claim to the place that he had always been prohibited from entering. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning, that's so true of us. The God, the, the God we serve has raised Jesus from the dead. He's alive. Last Sunday at Easter we celebrated that. But he's no less alive today than he was last Sunday. Or he's always been. He's here today. This is just as much Resurrection Sunday as last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday. And resurrection is not confined to a day of the week. Tomorrow is Resurrection Monday. Tuesday is Resurrection Tuesday. Wednesday is Resurrection Wednesday. And Thursday is Resurrection Thursday. And Friday is Resurrection Friday. And Saturday is Resurrection Friday. Jesus is alive for us every day. And he transforms our identity. And where we once felt inferior and inadequate, and to the outside, whew, He puts a dance in our step, a shout in our voice, a rising of faith uh, to believe for the impossible. Now, it's so sad. It says they were greatly disturbed. And they were disturbed because of the resurrection. They were also disturbed by the audacity of Peter and John. How dare you just come into this place and preach without permission from the Sadducees? Jesus came waltzing into the temple and you started to preach. Well, the disciples, the apostles, were convinced that Jesus was the Lord of Israel. He was the one who was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament law and prophets. They felt, and it wasn't arrogance, it was the Holy Spirit. They had more right to be here than the Sadducees. In fact, they weren't making any kind of difference. The gospel was for everybody, for the Jews and also to the Greeks. And they just were exuberant. Wow. They had just been filled with the Spirit. They had just spoken in tongues, languages they hadn't learned. They had just baptized thousands of people. (laughs) They were, wow, they were just like a freight train going down the tracks. Uh, even better, a dynamo, this time not of a diesel engine or something, but the dynamus of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's what the word power comes, comes from, the word "dynamus," The dynamic power of God's Spirit. They were turned on. <laughs> I believe we got to get turned on. Verse 4. But many who heard the message believed. <laughs> so here are these people in the in the temple, the uh, Sadducees and the temple captain and, and servants on one side, and this group of people who had left them, I, I suppose, and had come over to where Peter and Paul was, uh, Peter and uh, Peter and John were, and many who heard the message believed. Well, what was the message? Well, it was the resurrection of Jesus. But it wasn't just the fact of his resurrection. It was the evidence of his resurrection in a man who had been crippled for over 40 years, but who's now jumping and praising and leaping and turned on with the power of the Holy Spirit. The witness of the church is definitely the resurrection of Christ. And the evidence is the fruit of that resurrection in us. And the number, it says, of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, well, the reason it says men and not women uh, is because women weren't allowed into the inner court where the men were allowed. So there was all kinds of women and children who would have believed as well, but 5,000. Not a bad service. Kind of powerful. <laughs> uh, you know, if you could go back into Bible times, and you, and you could pick a few events that you'd want to be at. It could be, you know, God intercepting Abraham as he was about to slay a son or any of the things that happened. Well, for sure, the cross and the resurrection would be number one on my list and probably yours, too. But not too far down the line, this event would have been there. I'd have loved to have been there. I'd have loved to have seen that guy. That very first notable miracle of healing in the early church. that At least that is recorded. And seeing this guy before and after. Anyway. Verses five to seven. The next day the rulers, the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, as were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other of the others of the high priest's family. This they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them, by what power? Or what name do you do this? What power, what name do you do this? Well, last Sunday morning, our granddaughter was baptized. It was a beautiful experience. She gave a very wonderful testimony of how she met Jesus and how that she had been very discouraged in her life because of being diabetic. And and at times it even pondered suicide. And she, she described how she came to Christ, how her life was changed and transformed. And uh, it was just really a moving experience. Now she's gone away for a couple of weeks, and she asked us to look after her doggy. Her name is Brooklyn, and Brooklyn and I get along really well. Um, she loves to snuggle beside me at night. In fact, she crowds me out to the edge of the bed. And uh, so she sleeps right beside me. And uh, she loves to play. And we have this little squeaky ball. It's purple, and it's got little plastic spokes. And you grab goes, squeak, squeak, squeak. And as soon as I do that, her ears perk up, and she comes running to get the ball. She wants to play with the ball. She just, and so all I have to do to get her attention if I want to play or if I want her attention is just squeeze the ball. Well, when they asked these guys, uh, by what power or what name do you do this? It was like squeezing the ball. They were ready with an answer, ready to jump at the opportunity to share with these men who Jesus was. And then it says in verses 8 to 11, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, we cannot witness, we can't convince anybody of anything. We might win an argument or two, but... The church never succeeds in winning the lost through um, debate. It might have its place. Apologetics has its place. We can, we can talk to people who don't believe that there is a God at all. We can talk to them about how could something that was not alive suddenly become alive. How can life come from non-life? And raise questions like that, which can pique an interest. Well, maybe there is at least an intelligent design of some sort, if not a, a true and living God. But that doesn't really cut it. As important as it is, what cuts it is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we never know, whenever we enter into this world of ours... And as we go out of the doors of the church and we live our lives, just what encounters we will have in any given week. But Peter, in answer to the question, what power or what name did you do this? Now, (laughs) the power and the name were integrally linked. The name is Jesus and he has the power, he is the power. And wow. So, he said to them, "Rulers and elders of the people." So he he speaks respectfully, at least for a few lines. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and we are asked being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now if they'd have stopped there, uh, maybe John was beside him thinking under his breath up oh, here. Just leave it there. Don't go any further. Uh, they might let us off, you know. But then Peter says, Whom you crucified. So you're a religious leader, and there's a crowd of people. By whose power did you do this, and in whose name? In the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Wow. He wasn't winning bounty points when he said that. But whom God raised from the dead... That this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Now, uh, that is an actual prophecy from the Old Testament. And uh, in the, the Greek and Hebrew, the cornerstone isn't like what we would think is a corner of a building. It was actually a capstone is what came on the top of the building. And uh, so what he was saying was this. You build this magnificent building, but then there is a stone that comes on the top that once it is put in place, it holds all the rest of the structure together. It's not just a decorative piece, but it's what gives the edifice its strength. It's what, it's what brings everything together. And Jesus, Jesus, he said, is the capstone. He's the capstone of everything that God began in Israel, from the from its inception as a nation. It's the capstone that fulfills all of what the prophets said, all of what King David represented, all what Abraham represented, all of what the prophets represented. It was a building being put together, but now the final piece. The one who is the crown of it all, the one who is above it all, and the one who holds it together is Jesus. And what he was saying is, folks, listen, you don't need to be upset with him or that we're preaching in his name. You crucified him. You were the one who rejected him as the chief cornerstone or capstone Of the temple of Israel. God's people. And. um, He goes on to say. In the next verse. Verse 12. Salvation is found in. No one else. For there is no other name. Under heaven. To mankind. By which we must. Be saved. He uses the word we. So in condemning them. Bringing conviction to them. You crucified him. You rejected him as the capstone, the cornerstone. But you know what? Salvation is for you too. There's nothing that disqualifies you, nothing from your past. Look at this blind man or this lame man who's standing before you, healed totally, a total new person. A person who is no longer known as the cripple by the gate, but the one who was healed by the power of Jesus. This one who has a dance in his step and a shout in his voice and a leap wherever he goes, totally transformed. And that's the power that's available to you, not just for your physical body, but for your soul and your spirit. There is no other way. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. And everybody can embrace him. What is missions all about? Why are we going to support missionaries like Tim Watley and the work that they do across the world in people groups that some have never heard the gospel, some who don't even have language in a, a written uh, their language in a written form, and that's not just what they do. Those kinds of tribes are becoming fewer and fewer. In our world. But there are so many people in so many parts of the world who are lost because they haven't heard the gospel. And whether it is taking us to a place of sacrifice like Tim Watley experienced, or whether it's just being an authentic witness in our schools or our workplaces. There's no not one group of people who are less important or another group who is more important than anyone in the eyes of God. And he desires that people everywhere would be saved. Verses 13 and 14. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could not see the man who had been healed, but, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they see the courage of Peter. <laughs> well, you talk about transformation. This guy was the biggest chicken in the whole group. On the day that Jesus was being crucified, just a little girl said, aren't you one of those people that follow him? No, I've never known him. And he actually cursed, afraid, a coward. He had seen all the miracles that Jesus had done. He had heard all of the things he taught. But he was inept. He was powerless. The reason was because he had seen it, he had heard it, but he hadn't experienced it to the degree that he would when the Holy Spirit came upon him. And so when they note his fear, no, his courage. From a coward to a brave heart. From a guy who couldn't stand in front of a little girl and say, I'm a follower of Jesus to a guy who would stand at the risk of his own life and proclaim with unbelievable courage the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, and the evidence that was seen in this lame man who had been healed. Now, uh, and so if we are called to account, uh, where does it say this, Uh, you crucified him. Oh, yeah, when they saw the courage of Peter and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that they had been with Jesus. Uh, This doesn't mean they were dummies, unschooled and unlearned, and not like these were guys who just, you know, had never disciplined themselves to learn or to, or to be wise in a a, a trade, or in the ways of Israel. or uh, That's not what it meant. They had not been schooled in the schools of the priests. They had not learned the ways of the priesthood, or the the ways of the authority of the temple. So, in other words, they weren't clergy. And only the clergy... Can do the works of God? How dare these guys, who don't have a a B.A. and a D.D. next to their their name, uh, dare do this? My father-in-law came to church one day. He was quite a scoundrel in his time. He lived in uh, Chicago during the Capone days. He was a pool shark. Criminal. <laughs> he was a bad guy. And uh, he fled to Canada because uh, he had been in a, he had hit somebody and killed them with their vehicle. And so he escaped to come here. That's my wife's dad. Now, she's very, very passive, very quiet. Um, she didn't get that from her dad. Uh, At least, not her old dad. One day, he came into a Pentecostal church in the town of Mount Forest where they were living. And a man who had been one of my teachers in Bible school, his name was Bill Brown. He was up preaching in a service and my father-in-law jumped up in the middle of the message and said, whatever you have, I want. So, kind of messed up the sermon and the schedule of things. He came forward, and he gave his heart to Jesus. And in the passage of time, they asked him if he would preach and give his testimony. And so they said, how do you want us to introduce you? Well, just tell them, my name is Gordon Campbell. I have a B.A. and a D.D. Bachelor of Arts, Doctor of Divinity. No, I'm born again and done with the devil. (laughs) That's what he said. (laughs) Let me tell you, you have that pedigree behind your name or next to your name. You don't have to have a rev or a bishop or whatever in front of you. If you know Jesus, you have all the pedigree you need. Hallelujah. (laughs) So you say, I'm not schooled. I've never been to Bible school. I haven't studied theology. I I don't know a whole lot about history. If you know Jesus, that's the criteria. They had taken note that they had been with Jesus.